This is Guns and Butter. are zombie banks. They don't lend. They do proprietary trading. They have succeeded in driving up the price of oil now to $65, $70 a barrel. They'd like to get it up to $150. Guy on uh, television today, $200 coming. And he's right. They'll try it again. During the summer of 2008, every motorist was paying $1 a gallon just for Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and what they were doing to the London ICE Intercontinental commodity exchange. So they would like to do that again. They do derivatives, they do proprietary trading, and then of course they jack up your credit card to 30% and hit you with fines and fees and, and all the rest of it. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Webster Tarpley. Today's show, California in Crisis. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA against oligarchy, surviving the cataclysm, a study of the world financial crisis, and co-author of George Bush, the unauthorized biography. His latest books are Obama, the postmodern coup, the making of a Manchurian candidate, and Obama, the unauthorized biography. Today we discuss his draft emergency action program for California. The budget crisis in California and most other states are signals that the United States and the world are sinking into an economic depression of awesome destructive power. According to Tarpley, this depression does not have to take place. He offers nine recommendations to head off looming disaster. Webster Tarpley, welcome. Thank you. I see that you've got a new nine-point plan for California. It's called Draft Emergency Action Program for California. The budget crisis in California, you begin, and most other states, plus the bankruptcy and collapse of the U.S. auto industry, are signals that the United States and the world are sinking into an economic depression of awesome destructive power. Who should pay for this depression? Clearly the Wall Street, Chicago, and San Francisco bankers and speculators who caused the crisis must pay. There are limitations on what any state can do, but we here in California can and must take a stand for a real economic recovery. We must grab the attention of the corrupt Sacramento and Washington politicians and start to lead this country out of the crisis. We therefore demand. And Webster, that is your opening paragraph. And then it looks like you go on to list nine demands. Let's go through those nine demands, and maybe you can sort of lay out the crisis. I'd be very glad to. Um, First of all, as you see, the method of this is a uh, class-conscious method, not not necessarily in the Marxist sense, which I don't share, but in the Platonic uh, sense of Plato's Republic, that we have an oligarchical ruling elite of financiers, and uh, the question with the Depression is who will pay for it? And uh, depressions are very expensive. And uh, the the goal of this is to shift the cost of the ongoing breakdown crisis of the banking system and the dollar uh, onto the guilty parties. In other words, the the people who have created the crisis with their incessant derivative speculation have to be the ones who who pay the price. Because otherwise, if we allow those financiers to uh, take this out of the hide of the uh, 
of the vast majority of the population, you're looking at the breakdown of civilization. In other words, this is a state now sinking into barbarism. Uh, if you cut off, uh, in particular, cut off welfare payments to welfare recipients at the kind of welfare you have today, the so-called TAMF, the uh, Temporary Aid to Needy Families, uh, this becomes uh, an action with genocidal overtones, and it gets you very quickly into the territory of the Nuremberg precedents, because if you deliberately deprive a civilian population, for whatever reason, cost effectiveness is not going to get you off the hook. If you take away food, clothing, shelter, medical care from a civilian population, you have committed a high crime against humanity. And this was dealt with with great severity at Nuremberg, with these precedents that have been manufactured by the U.S. government now have to be applied. And I think Governor Schwarzenegger needs to be warned, and the politicians in Sacramento should bear in mind that if you commit Nuremberg crimes, there may be retribution, right? And I, and I would hope that there would be. Um, so that, I think, is, is, is the idea. Um, it's an invitation to people to, to fight, uh, to, to undertake uh, struggle, to come out of their pessimism, their fear, their isolation, and to do something about it. And it's, this is widely displayed. It's, it's on the Internet, and I hope it will be, will be more. So let me just go through, for want of a better way, let me go through the nine, uh, the nine points of this. Well, you say that uh, cutting off the funding to, you know, the impoverished, the sick, etc., amounts to criminal activity, ultimately. But it seems to me that that's exactly what they're going to do, and they say they're going to do it, and uh, the Democrats and the Republicans are both lined up uh, in the state legislature to do this. I mean, it's in the San Francisco Chronicle every day. They have stated their intention to cut all these programs. Well, uh, you know, that's going to be a terrible deal for the vast majority of the people. So the question to everybody is, are you going to roll over and play dead for that, or are you going to get out and and do something about it? I would point to the fact that the Obama regime in general, under whose aegis all of this is occurring, is extraordinarily sensitive to any critique coming from the left. Anything that smacks of a New Deal attack on Obama is something they fear very much. You will have noticed that Obama eagerly embraces Limbaugh, Hannity, Cheney, uh, and these reactionaries and and right-wing anarchists and uh, so forth, the sordid right-wing extremists. Uh, Those are considered a a darling-kept opposition for Obama. He loves it. He can't get enough of playing himself off against those. But the attack on Obama as being a Wall Street puppet and uh, a, a vehicle of genocidal austerity, because that's what this is. Uh, I think that's, that gets a rise out of the Obama White House. Remember when the single-payer people were excluded from the health care summit, they said, okay, we'll picket the White House. And then the Obama characters caved in right away and said, oh, no, you're invited. Please come in. They wouldn't let them speak, but at least they, they got in the door. Compare. Bush destroyed uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and part of that coast. Now, with Obama, the entire Great Lakes industrial region is being wiped out. Factories that Stalin, Hitler, Tojo, Mao, and so forth would have been delighted to destroy is being destroyed now as Obama drives the automobile industry cynically and deliberately into bankruptcy. And that, of course, reaches just about everywhere. And then we have these huge budget crises in all the states, or the vast majority of the states, and the California one with this extreme um, uh, urgency, I think because of certain dysfunctional things in the state legislature, this stuff about the supermajority to raise taxes and things like this. But these are just individual peculiarities. Really, the, the program that I'm talking about could be adapted for any state, give or take a few, 
a few of these points. So the first thing is to reject any idea of austerity. Why should there be layoffs of state employees? There should be none. There should be no layoffs of state employees. You've got to maintain vital services at all costs. You've got to have an electricity grid, police, fire services, highways, public health, education, and you've got to have water. Big issue. Uh, you've got to maintain water deliveries to farmers and maintain water, water supplies for cities. Uh, and you've got to take emergency measures to do that. Um, so I think that's the idea here is try to build a united front. Uh, you still have some pretty militant nurses unions, teachers unions, government employees unions. You might be able to pick up some UAW people from various auto plants that are in California as they are in many other places. Um, Get into the streets. Uh, and ultimately, the ultimate sanction for this is have a general strike. Don't roll over the way the UAW just did. The UAW voted itself out of existence uh, Friday afternoon, two weeks ago, when they accepted to lower their wages and, and working conditions and, uh, and side benefits to the same level as these sweatshops in Alabama and Mississippi where there is no union. So why join the UAW and pay dues if you're going to get the same lousy deal you'd get in a southern sweatshop uh, in a right-to-work state under this uh, Taft-Hartley regime. So uh, it's time to fight. If you don't fight for your union in particular now, uh, you won't have it. And I would urge people, if you're in a, in a political party, a union, a community group, a women's group, a cultural organization, Hispanic, uh, Asian-American, whatever you are, take this program in there and fight for it. Get it, get it um, approved and spread these ideas. Second thing you can do inside the state, whenever you look at the, this problem, the state has limited ability, right, because it can't print money and it can't uh, run deficits, which otherwise the federal government can and, and should do under these circumstances. But let's look at a tax. Now, this is not a tax on people. The people are overtaxed. It would be criminally irresponsible to raise taxes on people. And especially this California sales tax is a monstrous regressive tax. We don't want, we don't want uh, regressive taxation. We want progressive taxation. Uh, and here's one way to get it. If you look around, what's the biggest flow of wealth that is not taxed in any way, not touched in the least? It is financial speculation, derivatives, stocks, bonds, foreign exchange, uh, all kinds of uh, real estate speculation, transfer of debt, uh, commodity speculation, options, futures, uh, and so forth. The concept is that of a Tobin tax. Now, James Tobin was the famous... Yale economist, I think he got a Nobel Prize at one point, uh, now deceased, but he gave his name to the idea of putting a, really a minimal tax, and it could be as little as, well, it, it could be uh, quite small, but I would recommend in this case 1%, uh, a 1% tax on all financial turnover. Tobin talked about foreign exchange. Since then, the idea has been extended to be basically any kind of a financial transaction. Now, think of it. If you go to the supermarket to buy, uh, well, maybe not groceries, but if you go to a department store and buy some shoes for your kid or uh, you have to buy school supplies, you're going to pay this 8 or 9% California sales tax. If I'm a speculator sitting in that stylized pyramid in, in San Francisco, I'm dealing derivatives around the world. I'm paying nothing on those transactions. Why is it that, that the shoes for your kid are taxed at this amazing 8 or 9%? And the speculative turnover, the trillions that these people send through the wires every day, not taxed at all. Let's put a 1% tax on financial turnover. That's a Tobin tax or a securities transfer tax. Surely 
these bankers can pay their fair share. Wouldn't that just be common equity? You know, even Aristotle talked about epikeia, equity. And uh, they will howl, of course. They'll say, well, that means the death of California, and we'll pick up our dollies and go home. Right? We'll go to, to Oklahoma. Well, they're ridiculous. Uh, they, they're, they're bluffing because they're not going to cut themselves out of the world's eighth largest economy. They simply can't do that. They, they, there's a lot of wealth here that they still want to parasitize. So they will stay. Uh, and uh, in the meantime... I think that would go very, very far. It's difficult to estimate this. I don't have the figures, but I'm sure people uh, listening perhaps might. Uh, figure out what's the turnover of all kinds of stock transactions. This is a 1% tax paid by the broker. It's paid by the financial institution, not by you. And I would fix it so that whether you're the buyer or the seller, the broker is always going to pay. Whether the broker is buying or selling, he's going to pay. The bank, the broker the Merrill Lynch, the J.P. Morgan Chase, the Charles Schwab, whoever it is, they're going to pay and, and not you. Now, that would already clear the air to a, a remarkable extent. This idea, by the way, is in the air. Uh, Marcy Captur of Ohio, kind of um, New Deal-style Democrat in the House. DeFazio of Oregon have talked about this. Kucinich has actually even made a few nods in this direction. Tobin tax, securities transfer tax. The French government, the French foreign minister, Kushner, who was somebody I don't like at all, but uh, gold is where you find it. So he came forward at an international conference in a, a couple of weeks ago and said, the French government recommends a Tobin tax or securities transfer tax on world financial transactions. And he said that would go for third world development. Well, not so fast. We know that when they say third world development, they mean to pay the bonded debt of third world countries to Société Générale or the Paris Club or the London Club or J.P. Morgan Chase or whatever that is. But the principle of using a Tobin tax is now, it's very much uh, in discussion around the world. So let's get going. I would also, I would warn academics. I've, I've seen the complacency of Robert Reich. He thinks he's got, he thinks he's fixed for life at Berkeley now. Uh, he may not be, right? If this California crisis goes on, a lot of those tenured professors uh, may be out on the street here with the rest of us. Uh, they go from paid ideologue to unpaid ideologue. Things change, right? There might be a rebirth of various kinds of radical thinking. Uh, but this Tobin tax is simply a very traditional sort of New Deal measure. I mean, the guy is even a Keynesian. There's nothing special about him. He's very much in the, in the mainstream and, and uh, taught at Yale. So, you know, how, how radical could this be? So I'd recommend a Tobin tax. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, California in Crisis. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. What's your third point after the securities transfer tax? How about one, one big idea? California is very hard hit by foreclosures. Right? Some of these places, I think Stockton is one of the most uh, foreclosure-ridden places in, in, in the entire country. What you ought to do about that is very simple. Stop all foreclosures. Ban them. Make them a state crime. You throw a California family out on the street. If you deprive them of their primary residence, you go to San Quentin or whatever other facility is there for you. Um, the idea simply is that you have to decide what is primary. Is human civilization and the fate of children and families uh, and workers uh, is that going to be primary or some formal contract law that says, you know, you hired the money or you bought the mortgage and therefore be damned, right? 
I think it's clear. Uh, if it's going to be empathy, if we're in the age of empathy, then empathy dictates let's freeze the foreclosures for five years or the duration of the present world economic depression, whichever takes longer. So ultimately, yes, the landlord will get his money, the lender will get his money at some point in the future, we hope, if civilization survives. But we can't allow that to destroy the fabric of civilization as we go forward. So the simple way, and this, all of the politicians say they want to they cut down the number of foreclosures. I have a very simple way. Ban them, outlaw them, stop them. And while you're doing homes, primary residences, not, not you know, 20 properties and not even a beach house when it comes to that, but a primary residence, think about farms. We can't have family farms being destroyed or any other kind of farm being destroyed for foreclosure or any business a taxi company, a trucking line, a restaurant. No, all of those have got to keep functioning because this is the world's work that has to get done. Uh, and we can't have the, the people who um, issued these, these uh, mortgages, right? Angelo Mozillo of Countrywide has now been, in, not indicted, but sued by the Securities and Exchange Commission for malfeasance and various nefarious things. It was the panic run on Countrywide Bank in August of 2007 almost two years ago, that kicked off this entire world financial panic that was then followed by Northern Rock and then the big Wall Street uh, bankruptcies. So uh, you shouldn't close down any home or any functioning business. This can be done by a state. And it simply means you're not going to take part in sheriff's auctions. You're just not going to enforce those bankruptcy laws. And of course, Countrywide and J.P. Morgan Chase will sue you in the federal courts, fine, fight them. Give uh, Jerry Brown a nice cause to fight for, because I guess he, he needs one. Now, here's another one. Usury laws. Uh, I just listening to, uh, to CNN, has a woman on there, and she says her interest rate has gone to 30% on a credit card. That's a crime. It used to be, before the Volcker era, before our last trilateral puppet president, Jimmy Carter, and his trilateral gang featuring Brzezinski and Volcker for economic affairs, there were usury laws. Now, I don't know the story in California. Generally, it was about 10%. There was a state law that said no interest rate over 10% shall be charged on any loan, note, credit card, or anything of the sort. Now, as Volcker at the Federal Reserve in 79 into 80 and 81 got us up to that horrendous 22% prime rate that destroyed much of the industrial fabric of this country, uh, the, the rates crashed through the, the, the state rates and various things were, were done. There were some federal laws passed and other laws passed. Reassert today, I would say, a 10% upper limit on credit card rates in California. And there you'd be giving at least some kind of relief. The woman who's got a 30% rate would then go down to 10%. And that would at least be something. And you'd again be sending the message. You'd be saying, you people who issued adjustable rate mortgages, you bandits, you hyenas, you credit card thieves, we're going to shut you down. Now, of course, Obama, Obama's approach to foreclosures is to pay more money to Mozilla and, uh, and uh, J.P. Morgan Chase to give them incentives to rewrite the mortgage. There was an attempt by Senator Durbin to have a cram down, in other words, to give the courts the ability to reduce the interest and principal on mortgages. That was defeated. But it was clear Obama didn't make a phone call or a speech. He didn't go on television. He didn't talk about it in the press conference. Obama did nothing to get that done because he doesn't care. This is not what he's up to. He's floating like a seraph up there in the, in the ether. So no layoffs, 1% Tobin tax, uh, securities transfer tax, stop all foreclosures, 
and set a 10% upper limit on interest rates. So with this, you haven't gotten yourself out of a depression, but you have provided a home, some monetary relief, and you've done something for the state coffers so that you can maintain the vital, vital services. Okay, And you've done it not by taxing people, but by getting those financial institutions that everybody by now can see are the cause of this, of this crisis. Your fifth point has to do with the bank bailout, specifically the TARP. Now, the other thing, of course, is if you're a big state, right, you have some uh, influence, right, you have some clout. Um, let's go back to Jerry Brown. We have this thing called the, uh, the bailout, the TARP, <laughs> the Troubled Asset Relief uh, Program. That's the $700 billion passed last uh last October, which was originally to buy derivatives, toxic assets, meaning derivatives in plain language. And uh, then they switched it and said, no, we're going to pay that to the banks. We're going to give that to Wall Street uh, as, as some kind of a low interest loan. Now, a lot of that money should come back. I mean, the one, one thing Jerry Brown ought to do is go to federal court and say, 700 billion for Wall Street is crime, violates various constitutional provisions, violates the general welfare clause. Try that. It's, it violates the general welfare, it, it, and it, it denies people the equal protection of the laws. Because then people say, where's my bailout? How come they get a bailout, I get none? So equal protection, general welfare. Jer- Jerry Brown, I'm sure, can think of some more, some more possibilities with his casuistry, right? But let him, let him get busy on it. Um, specifically, AIG. Now, AIG is this insurance company, okay? But what, what got them into trouble was a hedge fund in London selling derivatives, Hedge fund derivatives in a completely deregulated London environment. So the hedge fund sold $3 trillion worth of derivatives, more than the gross national product of France. Uh, And this went bankrupt, this blew up, and this has been the single greatest recipient of TARP and Federal Reserve uh, lending recently. And in particular, it's now come out that the derivatives counterparties, the people that were dealing credit default swaps, with AIG, have gotten uh, the best part of $37 billion. Actually, if you include Goldman Sachs, it gets up to about $50 billion. The counterparties, the people who, who had these derivatives contracts with AIG. So who are they? Uh, Goldman Sachs, which is uh, the former firm of Ed Liddy, who is the person that the regime, the government, put in command of uh, AIG. So he's probably got Goldman Sachs stock options, so he makes sure that Goldman Sachs gets $13 billion through AIG, in addition to the $30 billion or so that Goldman must have gotten from the TARP directly. But now, foreign bankers, this is where I think it becomes just absurd and outrageous to the point where people are going to stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to take this anymore. Um, we found out now that Société Générale of France, derivatives counterparty of AIG, received approximately $12 billion, which is more than you have on Head Start and uh, WIC and a whole bunch of really important programs to the American people. Société Générale of France, $12 billion. Deutsche Bank of Germany, $12 billion. Barclays Bank of Britain, $8.5 billion. Union Bank of Switzerland, $5 billion. Now, you add this up, it's about $37 billion. This would basically cover the entire California deficit for the present uh, fiscal year and, and beyond. I would say 
get your attorney general into federal court, headed for the Supreme Court, right? Use emergency injunctions, use the California Highway Patrol. We want that money back. We want to claw back the money that's been given to derivatives bankers. And we're using constitutional arguments of all possible types, right? Let's get the, uh, the law schools at the California universities thinking up constitutional arguments why the TARP is illegal and these payments to foreign derivatives bankers are certainly illegal. If, if uh, Sokgen, Deutsche, Barclays, and UBS are so critical, why don't the French, German, British, and Swiss governments bail them out? Why the U.S., of all people, but these foreign bankers, foreign bankers loom larger than welfare recipients, kids in schools, uh, the highway maintenance, flood control, forests, uh, the entire array of state services. And these people sit in Sacramento and say, we don't know what to do. We're going to impose these uh, genocidal budget cuts on the population. It's, this is just uh, too much. And how about uh, you have a, a, a California congressional delegation? I mean, you've got this... Pelosi, you've got Boxer and, and uh, you know, you've got uh, Feinstein, you've got Waxman is influential and all these other characters. Uh, why don't they get busy on impeaching Geithner? Impeach Tim Geithner, Secretary of the Treasury. He is the former official of Kissinger Associates, the IMF, and the head of the New York Fed. Uh, he is the son of a guy who was the, he was an official of the Ford Foundation who actually hired Obama's mother, so there's collusion and the appearance of all kinds of conflicts of interest. Impeach Geithner. Get his attention by, by moving to impeach the Secretary of the Treasury. He's a, he's a laughing stock. He should never have been confirmed. He's a tax cheat. He should be in federal prison. And anybody who wasn't the head of the Federal Reserve and the Kissinger Associates, man, probably, uh, probably would have been. So that's the question on the, uh, on the TARP. Well, Webster, that's, uh, that was your fifth point, and a, a couple of points on that. Uh, you've pointed out that uh, the state of California has a lot of firepower in Congress, and they're not doing a doggone thing, no. uh, number one. And number two, uh, all of the billions of dollars being paid to foreign banks, why, in your opinion, is that being done? Well, the argument, of course, when, when derivatives came in, they said, well, derivatives are ways to uh, spread risk and manage risk. And, of course, it turns out, as I argued in my book, Surviving the Cataclysm, which has now just been published in a second edition, which people can get from Progressive Press of California, I argued, no, derivatives are an added burden, an added claim of fictitious capital, cancerous, bloated, speculative values loaded on top of the existing debt structure, and they vastly increase risk. They show that any, any bankruptcy is going to become a chain reaction as the derivatives contracts unwind or pop or blow up or whatever they, whatever they do. And this, is now, this has now been shown. In other words, this crisis grew out of the, the Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, AIG, uh, Merrill, and, and related derivatives. That's the cause of the crisis. It didn't start with a federal budget deficit. It didn't start with, uh, didn't start with uh, adjustable rate mortgages or subprime mortgages because this is a, such a tiny feature of the system. The only thing you can say is that those losses there were then astronomically exponentially multiplied by the fact that they were then factored into a derivatives pyramid where the leverage had reversed. It had gone from positive leverage generating profits into negative leverage generating super uh, hyper losses. So... Uh, 
That's the derivatives. Now, the, the idea was that AIG was at the center of this, this London AIG hedge fund was at the center of this huge, um, you know, international derivatives web of debt and, and derivatives above all. And the, the idea, I guess, then the, the, the uh, U.S. Uh, Federal Reserve wanted to assert its residual leadership of the financial system. They created these things called Maiden Lane 1, Maiden Lane 2. This was done by a conspiracy, by the way. This was a meeting in the New York Federal Reserve Office, which was documented with the heads of all these banks and Geithner and Bernanke and all the rest of them. And you can, you can read it in the various financial papers down to you know, the pizza boxes left on the floor by these characters when they left. And they, this, is, this is what spawned then the, uh, the 700 billion. And it was, this was Wall Street dictating to Geithner and the fact that Geithner was then put into the Obama administration is a retroactive validation of all of that by Obama, Summers, uh, and the rest of the new regime. So in some ways, it's astounding. In other words, it's, it's an act of absolute political folly. And I urge everybody, keep this pushed right into everybody's face, that your state is going down. Almost $40 billion have been sent to these foreign banks. And if you add in Goldman Sachs, you get up to a nice... $50 billion, which would even allow you to, uh, to increase some of these levels, right? You could, you could hire a few teachers. You could, you could have a few daycare centers open up if you had that money back. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, California in Crisis. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, the, here's the bigger issue. Um, the Federal Reserve, right? We were told that the reason for bailing out Wall Street with the TARP is not to bail out Wall Street. Obama had a special address to Congress where he said he would do anything to save the banks, but not for their own sake, but because they lend to the productive economy. Well, Circuit City just went bankrupt, didn't get any loans from any of these zombie banks in Wall Street. We've just had General Motors bankrupt, Chrysler bankrupt. Any, any Wall Street help for them? Nothing. Uh, companies going bankrupt all the time. Are they getting any help? These are zombie banks. They don't lend. They do proprietary trading. They have succeeded in driving up the price of oil now to $65, $70 a barrel. They'd like to get it up to 150 Guy on uh, television today, 200 coming. And he's right. They'll try it again. During the summer of 2008, every motorist was paying $1 a gallon just for Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and what they were doing through the London ICE Intercontinental Commodity Exchange. So you were, you were financing uh, the uh, blank fine at uh, Goldman Sachs and his buddies over at, at, uh, at Morgan Stanley. So they would like to do that again. They do derivatives, they do proprietary trading, and then, of course, they jack up your credit card to 30% and hit you with fines and fees and, and all the rest of it. So there is no social interest. There's no... Uh, productive or uh, positive social impact by these zombie banks. What should happen to them, of course, is they should be shut down. Sheila Baer is violating the law every Friday when she does not shut down J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, Bank of New York Mellon, uh, and a series of others, probably 16 of the top 19. When they did the stress test, they concluded that these banks needed $60 billion. That was bad enough. But the stress test completely excluded derivatives. In other words, the most important factor in the bankruptcy of banks was a priori off the table, so they didn't have to calculate the derivatives losses, which is the heart of the entire uh, matter. So it's absolutely absurd. 
your seventh point has to do with the Federal Reserve. Now, therefore, the Federal Reserve, uh, it, it would be nice to nationalize the Federal Reserve all at once. But if you can't do that, here's what you can do. California could say, look, our congressmen and senators are going to vote to force the Fed that next to the TAF and the TALF and the PPIP and the other special lending facilities for banks, insurance companies, AIG, uh, money market funds, all kinds of speculative paper. Credit card companies get special treatment. Let's have one for production. Let's have one for auto, for Silicon Valley, for biotech, for farm, for local businesses. Why not? So that you can go to your local banker, discount commercial paper, and the Federal Reserve has to take that at 0%. Let's have 0% federally subsidized lending to the productive sector of the economy to get out of this. That's ultimately how you get out of a, uh, of a depression. Now, one other big thing. If you look at the Roosevelt New Deal, what do you have? Tennessee Valley Authority, big. Uh, you have um, big tree planting programs. The Shelter Belt was an attempt to moderate the climate by planting hundreds and hundreds of millions of trees. Right? Um, you can look at, look at the, the New Deal programs and see that they, they lead to big, uh, ultimately, the Manhattan Project, right? nuclear energy, things of this sort. Uh, Lend-lease and so forth, but by that time we were in the war. What we need is something dramatic, a transcontinental railroad, uh, an Erie Canal, things of this magnitude that really change people's everyday lives. Now, California, given the geographical layout, given the, the, uh, the problems with the freeways and the traffic jams and, and the, the, you know, the social importance of this issue, we have this modern, ultra-modern magnetic levitation railway technology. And the obvious thing is this is now functioning in Japan on a fairly large scale. China has it. Germany has at least demonstration models, and they're exporting it. The U.S., ironically, where the technology was developed, completely left behind. We would need to build a magnetic levitation train. Now, this is not a bullet train. This is not your Japanese Shinkansen. This is a generation beyond that. This is a floating magnetic cushion where there's no contact, right? It's not a steel wheel on a steel rail. You start in San Diego, you go to Los Angeles, you go either, well, inland or on the coast, I don't know which, maybe both, why not? And then you get to San Francisco, and then you're off towards Portland and, uh, and Seattle, and of course south, you build it to Mexico City, by all means, maglev. Uh, now, how could you do this? If you could force the Federal Reserve to, um, to come up with the 0% lending, do that. If the Federal Reserve is, uh, is fighting you and you can't get that through, then you could issue California bonds and put them in a California state bank. So whatever money you got from the bonds, you could use the reserve multiplier effect, right? Your fractional reserve banking, as certain ideologues like to call it. And then you basically multiply your money by 9 or 10. You make that into a revolving credit fund so it keeps, you know, when it comes back, it's relent. Uh, and if you buy the bonds, you get to ride on the maglev free for life. So you can, you know, this is where you can go from Los Angeles to... Uh, San Francisco in less than an hour, right? City center to city center, clean, smooth. And this you could build this in. So a lot of the commuting, right? Some very significant commuting uh, could be uh, relieved and you'd be taking cars off the road. So people who are concerned about ecological considerations, fine, you should support this, right? And you, you, there is real pollution coming out of cars. There's no doubt about that. But obviously the the proliferation of cars has reached, uh, I think, the breaking point. You want to get back into urban mass transit,
but it has to be of this super modern type. Now, ironically enough, these ideas are also in the air. Michael Moore, of all people, concerned about Michigan, uh, said essentially, rather than trying to get the Detroit plants to continue making cars, let's reconvert them so you could make, he says, bullet trains. I would just say bullet trains would be a step backward. Why not leap over the rest of the world into the Maglev era and leave the bullet trains and the TGVs and so forth? That's basically technology from the 1950s. At least with the Maglev, you'd have something from the, from the 80s and, and, and the 90s. Uh, so that's, that's Michael Moore. He says, reconvert Detroit to build uh, things like tractors and build uh, bullet trains and, and de-emphasize personal cars. That's a great, a great idea. And what you could do is uh, auto plants in California, and there are quite a few that are being shut down, could then be mobilized. So you'd take your unemployed auto workers, put them back in the plants, reconvert them, retool them, and start building maglev for export. And they would start, you know, everybody in the world wants this. Uh, and ironically, it's in the air. In Washington, D.C., where I live, uh, there are all kinds of ads on television now. Terry McAuliffe, the money man of Clinton and, and, uh, and Hillary, is running for governor of Virginia, and he's got three points, and one of his points is maglev. And here you see a maglev going, he says, let's build this in, uh, in Virginia. And of course, we have the Virginia Independent Green Party. They've already prepared the ground for this kind of stuff. So maglev is very definitely in the air. And uh, then your eighth point has to do with industrial productivity. Now, this is all very positive, and I think very, uh, it's very reasonable. Let's suppose the bankers put up a, uh, a hard line, right? The American Bankers Association lobbies the Congress, Sacramento, that they don't want any of this. Well, um, there is the question of debt moratorium. And ultimately, if you have to choose between defaulting on debt payment and genocide against your own population, it's clear which one you have to choose. You're not going to sacrifice a generation of kids uh, with welfare cuts, education cuts, health cuts, right? Old people dying. This is just Medicaid collapsing. This is, this is unacceptable. Um, a lot of states in the U.S. went bankrupt, right? Back in the era of Andrew Jackson and Van Buren when they destroyed the financial system. New York, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, all went bankrupt. Florida, Louisiana, lots of states went bankrupt in the 1840s. Somehow they made it. More recently, it's third world countries that do this. Brazil went uh, into a debt moratorium in 1987. They did fairly well. Argentina went into a debt moratorium in 2000. I think they did, on the whole, quite well, because the president of Argentina, uh, Kirchner, would say to the uh, bankers, you know, if you, you know, don't want to deal with me, you'll, you'll get nothing. So choose. Uh, and if you're a big enough debtor, see, that's the thing. If you're, if you're a superpower of debt, you gain leverage so that you can dictate some, some terms and conditions. I would not make this the first point, but... If the bankers insist on uh, this uh, absurd, draconian, uh, you know, we want every penny, well, then you get nothing. Uh, and remember, the wealth of a state, the wealth of anybody, is in your labor force. It's in the fact that you have a trained, scientifically prepared labor force, and uh, the credit rating is not the question of your wealth. Your wealth is not in your credit rating. Your wealth is your labor force. Could you say a couple of more words about the ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange in London? This is an unregulated exchange. Could you uh, talk about this a little bit and, and uh, the role that it plays in, for instance, uh, jamming up the price of oil again? 
Yes, we we have uh, an anemic and tenuous uh, regulatory regime here in the United States. Uh, the SEC, of course, very bad, naked shorting, uh, no uptick rule under that guy Cox. And the new woman, Shapiro, is just as bad. She's a disciple of Summers. She's a derivatives uh, monger. But then we have the Commodity Futures Trading uh, Commission, and they're supposed to regulate commodities markets. That would be your NYMEX, your New York Merck, places like this. Uh, the U.S. regulatory regime is God knows weak enough and bad enough, uh, and it ought to be revved up. But in London, <laughs> I suppose you might call it a free market. <laughs> <laughs> I always say free markets really don't exist, but maybe the closest thing we have to a free market, in other words, absolute piracy and lawlessness and anarchy and exploitation and the rule of the jungle, that would be the London uh, commodities markets. I'm speaking with economic historian and author Webster Tarpley. Today's show, California in Crisis. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now, Goldman Sachs and uh, Morgan Stanley uh, in 2006, 2007 or thereabouts decided that the constraints in the New York oil market were too much for them. They wanted more looting. So therefore, they created this thing called the ICE, the Intercontinental Exchange in London, which um, became then one of the main world centers of futures trading, meaning derivatives, right? options and futures in oil, and they do index futures, right? You have all kinds of derivatives combinations. And uh, obviously, in in the course of 2008, there was the speculative orgy on the ICE, and I did a kind of a back-of-the-envelope calculation that uh, if you went from about $70 a barrel to almost $150 a barrel, it had gone up essentially 100% in a period of 12 or 18 months or whatever it was. Anyway, the the ultimate outcome was that of that speculative increase, it was about a doubling or two and a half times the price. If the price went up two and a half times, say two and a half uh, dollars, then out of that, one dollar was attributable to speculative activity by Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley combined. Maybe two-thirds Goldman, one-third Morgan. Those were the two main speculative participants on this ICE, and I, I don't have the exact figures here in my head, but if you figured out what percentage of the U.S. oil market had moved to the ICE, then you did how much of that was attributable to Morgan Stanley and, and Goldman Sachs. Basically, it came out that you were paying the Goldman GS and MS, you were paying $1 per gallon in about July or August of uh, 2008 when the price peaked. Now, what should be done about this, obviously, you need to have position limits. You need to say, you're not allowed to come into this market, which is relatively limited, and then buy up everything, right? Position limits. It's your, your, your ability to buy futures or, as they call them, video barrels. They're not even paper barrels anymore. They're video barrels. Your ability to buy these counters, right, these oil options, has to be limited there has to be a systematic distinction. Are you there as a speculator? Are you there as a user? In other words, are you really going to take delivery of this stuff and use it? And if you're a user, are you there to hedge? In other words, if I'm if I'm somebody who makes wooden furniture, I have to protect myself against fluctuations in the price of wood by selling uh, 
the future, uh, something into the future with the wood so that I'll be cushioned against whatever happens to the price while the wood is in my shop. You know this stuff, right? Elementary economics. And the other thing, of course, you have to do is margin. In the London ICE exchange, you can borrow on, you know, your honest face. should be 100% cash, 100% cash margins. Now, the other thing is, under the Commodity Futures Trading Corporation, the U.S. regulatory regime, weak as it is, is supposed to be projected outward in case of any oil arriving from overseas. The U.S. regulatory regime is supposed to apply whenever oil is being bought or sold that's eventually going to end up in the U.S. In other words, if the oil gets to the U.S., back up the chain is subject to the U.S. law. But they don't do it. In other words, the Commodity Future Trading Corporation has struck out completely, and under Summers, it's just the same story as Bush or worse. Because we know that Summers is devoted to, uh, to derivatives. Summers, as president of Harvard, told Harvard to put their entire endowment into derivatives. And therefore, Fair Harvard has lost one-third at least of their entire endowment, which is an interesting commentary on the bankruptcy, mental as well as financial, of the U.S. ruling class, of which Summers is a very interesting, uh, very nasty, right, uh, woman-hating uh, specimen. So that's, that's the story with the London ICE. The London ICE now wants to be the world clearing bank for derivatives. In other words, they've had their, their, their chairman has been in congressional hearings, and he says, you know, we're going to have to have a, uh, a clearing mechanism. It's where you basically add up all the derivatives, and you see ultimately at the end of the day who owes what to whom. In other words, you don't have to pay everything. You just pay the ultimate sum, you know, plus or minus at the end of the day. So they want to become the world center for derivatives. And I would say, no, press that delete button, get your shredder going, get your bonfire, get your, uh, you know, whatever it is, your Yule log. Derivatives have got to be destroyed. The, the Obama regime is making noises about how they want to regulate derivatives. This is absolutely crazy. Derivatives have got to be banned. They were illegal from 1936 to 1982 and should be again. Well, that's interesting that the head of uh, ICE has been uh, testifying because, uh, well, they're running up the, the price of gasoline again. I mean, they're, they're busy doing everything you've been describing. Right? That's, that's their thanks. They want to thank you. They want to send you a billet doux after you uh, bailed them out with TARP money. Uh, you know, this is Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. That's all they know how to do. They are zombie banks. This is what they do. Their social function is to add Several dollars, two, three, four dollars, as much as they can. Again, they think they can get it up to 200 this summer, maybe, or if not this summer, then in the near future. And they won't stop until you shut them down. And the way you shut them down is a Tobin tax, a ban on derivatives, position limits, make sure the speculator is clearly marked, and 100% margin. And with that, the oil price would go back down to 60, 70, or 50, or something more reasonable. And I urge people to do it. But also remember, don't, don't kid yourself, Obama's going to do this. Obama, Summers, Geithner, Volcker, Bernanke, they don't like any of that. And a lot of them are from Goldman Sachs. A lot of them are essentially part of this clique. It's the, the, the central figure is Rubin, who was Goldman Sachs, Clinton, and then Citibank. That would be Summers and, and, and Geithner to some extent. So they'll never do any serious regulation. This has got to be fought through. So don't think Obama is going to bring it. He, he's a, a negative on all of this stuff. 
Well, Webster, have we gotten through all of your nine points for California? Well, then just the other question, again, is, is to stress this idea of uh, a general strike, uh, a mass strike. Uh, I think a, uh, a general strike against austerity, against budget cuts, against the Depression would uh, capture the imagination of the world. Uh, there have been a lot of labor struggles in Europe in the past six months. There have been a lot of strikes, uh, um, France in particular, Italy to some extent, some in Germany too, uh, not reported in the U.S. Um, U.S. labor movement seems to be playing dead. And uh, the UAW has essentially, again, voted itself out of existence. I would urge labor unions in California in particular, where there is this history of fighting Schwarzenegger, right? the nurses were famous for their militancy against Schwarzenegger, get busy, and, uh, but you, you can't limit this to Schwarzenegger because this is, this is uh, his great friend is Obama. And we saw Schwarzenegger sitting in the Rose Garden the other day, right, nodding when Obama was making his speech about uh, automobile mileage. All right, that's all well and good, but now let's get somewhere, huh? and let's claw back that TARP money and how can we sit here and give $37 billion to foreign derivatives bankers and hedge fund hyenas and let these social services go to hell? This is a descent into barbarism, and now it's time to fight. And the name for that is General Strike, Mass Strike. So take this program into your organization, and don't forget point nine, General Strike based on this program against Schwarzenegger and any other politician proposing layoffs or cuts in vital services and remind the bankers that if they don't get reasonable, they'll get a default. They'll get a debt moratorium. Uh, and then they'll have to muddle through somehow. But California can get along. Again, you have a, a, a world-class uh, workforce that can produce things that people want. And you don't really need these bankers. Become your own bank. Yes, thank you. And, and what we're really looking at in California is that people are going to stop getting their checks uh, like you say, people are going to be turned out on the streets. There could be food riots. I can't imagine what's going to happen with the, with what they're planning to do right now. Right. That's why it's important to have a program. In other words, I'm sure there will be riots. I'm sure there will be various kinds of uh, strike actions and so forth. The thing is, do you know what to demand? Do you have a, a catalog of demands that will actually solve at least, not maybe solve, but but significantly mitigate the depression in this part of the world? And you can, you can go a pretty long way. I mean, the, between the Tobin tax and uh, a, a stop on foreclosures and a limit on credit card interest rates and starting to build a maglev, you, you're basically putting at least the building blocks on the table that could make an economic recovery. Yeah, because they have no plan. What do they say? They say, well, we have no money. Our wallet is empty. Sorry. Uh, if a ruling class can't solve problems, then they should get out of the way. They should resign, go home, and let somebody uh, take over who knows what to do. And if you know these nine points, you know what to do. And uh, what is the Obama administration's economic policy? Obama, as a Wall Street puppet, which is obviously what he is, when he thinks economics, he thinks Geithner, Wall Street, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, the people who gave him all the money uh, and sponsored his candidacy and essentially own him. So Obama has now turned the U.S. government over to Wall Street in an unprecedented way. $13 trillion for Wall Street, a couple of hundred billion for the peons here and the hoi polloi. I would say Obama is on his way to a primary challenge. In other words, that Obama is going to crater rapidly. I would just say the indispensable thing is that there be a New Deal policy challenge to Obama. Call it a challenger to Obama from his left. 
if you want to think of it that way. That may, may not be the best way to say it. But a New Deal alternative to Obama, an anti-bank, anti-derivative, anti-Wall Street, populist Democrat, would, I think, have a very good chance of sweeping Obama away as he craters in this obvious, abortive, catastrophic presidency that he's embarked on, again, by turning the government over to, uh, to J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Citibank, and, and, and Goldman Sachs. And with Orshag and Senator Baucus running the show, the so-called health care reform is going to be an exercise in rationing. Uh, Orsag, for example, says there are too many MRIs, there are too many CAT scans, there are too many uh, mammograms. There are all kinds of medical tests, says Orsag, that are superfluous, and we should abolish them and not pay. And you say, Orsag, you know, you got an MD? What do you got, a degree in public health? No, he's a bean counter and a pointy-headed bureaucrat from the uh, you know, Congressional Budget Office, and he's going to make health care policy? Senator Baucus, uh, the head of the Senate Finance Committee, the Senate Finance Committee is the Committee for Health Care Reform. Do you smell a fault? <laughs> Wouldn't it be you know, health, education, and welfare or something like this? No, it's Baucus for some reason. And the first person he called in to talk about health care reform was Helicopter Ben Bernanke of the Federal Reserve. What's his expertise? What the hell does he know about, uh, about uh, medical care? You can obviously see the demagogic ploy will be to say, we will extend minimal coverage to everybody, or better yet, we'll force you to buy insurance from uh, a derivatives-laden insurance company like AIG, uh, and in exchange for that, we're going to have the most draconian healthcare rationing, cost-effectiveness. Are you old? Do you smoke? Are you overweight? Do you have existing conditions, pre-existing conditions. With Obama, if you have a pre-existing condition, you're going to be ushered into that good night. Did you see this interview with the New York Times where Obama says, I have an ethical dilemma about my mother. She had cancer. She broke her hip. She got a hip replacement surgery under Medicare. And he says, I have an ethical qualm about that. Is that an ethical way to use resources? You didn't see it. Oh, yes. <laughs> New York Times Magazine interview by Obama. The hip, his mother's hip replacement operation. Now, he doesn't seem to have any ethical qualms about the $13 trillion for Wall Street zombie derivatives bankers, does he? But the idea that an older person with a disease that may be thought terminal, maybe it's prostate cancer, you can die from that too. So you should, if you have your hip broken, you should learn to live with it in a sense, and of course you should die. Senator Daschle, the senator from Citibank, South Dakota, Citibank being the largest employer in the state where this character was, had written a book saying, you know, we have to realize, you know, that life is short and old people need to accept these terminal diagnoses with serenity and they should die for the bottom line of AIG. That's what you're going to be getting. So you look at Baucus, you look at Orsag, you look at Obama, you look at his healthcare summit, You've just got to realize that the overriding mentality of the Obama gang is that they want health care rationing and they want to cut costs because that's how he talks about it. He says he doesn't say 50 million people don't have coverage. He says the costs are too high. 
you can see where the emphasis uh, lies. So I think that's going to be very, very dangerous. Webster Tarpley, thank you very much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. I've been speaking with Webster Tarpley. Today's show has been California in Crisis. Webster Tarpley is an economic historian, author, and lecturer. He is author of 9-11 Synthetic Terror, Made in the USA, Against Oligarchy, and co-author of George Bush, The Unauthorized Biography. His latest books are Obama, The Postmodern Coup, The Making of a Manchurian Candidate, and Obama, The Unauthorized Biography. His prescient economic work, Surviving the Cataclysm, A Study of the World Financial Crisis, is now out in paperback, available from ProgressivePress.com. That's www.ProgressivePress.com. Webster Tarpley hosts a two-hour Internet public affairs radio show, World Crisis Radio, every Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, on the Genesis Communication Network at www.gcnlive.com. Visit his website at www.tarpley.net. That's T-A-R-P-L-E-Y dot N-E-T. Email him at tarpley at tarpley.net. Guns and Butter is produced and edited by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, Call 510-848-6767, extension 628, or email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Our website, gunsandbutter.net, is under reconstruction. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now, if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what decides yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me? You got me? <laughs>